to be out here. As uh, Bill mentioned about uh, new neighbors, uh, Bree and I are about a week and a day away from closing on our house out here. So uh, soon we will be those new neighbors. So uh, the friendly welcomes, we look forward to those and to getting to know you guys all the better. I know that uh, since the last time I was out here to preach, you guys have been informed of some of the plans of uh, kind of moving Phil and I around a little bit and uh, bringing Bree and I out here to take over the pastorate. And I uh, just want to uh, take an opportunity here because I have a microphone and I guess they're allowing me to do that. And so to share our heart about that. Uh, we are, we're thrilled. Uh, this has been quite a process uh, for us um, and the church working through all this and seeing God's hand through all of it. And uh, it's been quite an encouragement and uh, we are excited to come out here. We're excited to move into this community. We're excited to be part of this church with you guys to get to know you better. Um, I know you guys are going to want to get to know us better. And so we look forward to sharing meals with each other, uh, just uh, doing life together. And uh, really what we're excited about is reaching this community, uh, seeing that the, the harvest is plentiful. We want to come and partner with you guys in the ministry of the Indian Creek Campus and really uh, reach the, the Shabana, Waterman, Lee, uh, Malta, all these, the Pawpaw communities uh, for Christ. And uh, so we are, we're just thrilled to see all that God has in store. And um, if at any time you're like, hey, you know, we'd like to get to know the Andersons better, feel free to invite us over for dinner or whatever. Uh, we'll be out here in a week. So I was told that inviting yourself over for dinner is weird, but I figured... Maybe you'd like to have us over, and we look forward to having you over as well. So uh, that's one thing. You know, we've been living in my in-laws' basement for two years now, and we are so excited to not be living in a basement anymore and to have a place uh, that we can have people over and to use our home for the ministry of the Lord and to advance His kingdom. So, um, so we really are uh, just incredibly humbled and blessed that God would put this opportunity before us and. Um, we, we are looking forward to it in the most humble way possible to see uh, all that God would, would have in store for us so, and, uh, and for this church. And so we look forward to the days, the days ahead. Uh, this morning, I really wish, you know, in, in light of that, uh, we'd have a, a lighter message uh, this morning. That we'd be working perhaps through a, a lighter book at this season of time. But uh, we are in Amos. And that's tough. So we are going to have a, a, a heavier message for us this morning, but uh, we're going to deal with it. We're going to work right through it. We, this is our second to last message in the book of Amos. Uh, we're going to be tackling chapter 7, chapter 8, and half of chapter 9. So though your outline may look really simple, there is a lot to unpack and get through. So hopefully there's some space in there for you to take some extra notes because there's definitely some extra content to, to be working through this morning. So um, since it's such a long passage, we're not going to sit and read the whole thing together. Instead, as we work throughout the message, I'm going to reference uh, to different points in it. So open up to Amos chapter 7 and be following along. I'll be telling you where we're at uh, throughout the time here. But I'm going to open our time up this morning in a word of prayer. And then we're just going to kind of jump on into this and start working through uh, the passage before us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for each of the people that you brought here this morning. We're glad to be in your house. 
Uh, Lord, we lift up this time before us now as we open up your words in the book of Amos. God, I pray that you would speak clearly and powerfully through me, that I would just be an instrument in your hands, that your truth, that your word would be heard and understood and applied appropriately to our lives. I pray for all of us in this room that we might be uh, able to focus on what's before us, that we can put aside the distractions of life, the good and the bad, uh, the struggles and the triumphs, or that we can we can really hone in and, and take from your word this morning when we put uh, at this time together as a body. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So it was in a, in World War II, uh, in 1940, that Winston Churchill uh, coined the phrase, the darkest hour for Great Britain. It wasn't long after uh, he was referring to the period of time in between uh, when Great Britain uh, retreated from the shores of Dunkirk, which you guys maybe have seen or heard of the movie that came out in 2017, Dunkirk, uh, that kind of shared that tale of how the, the soldiers were helped to escape uh, from the, the oncoming onslaught uh, from the German armies. And uh, during this period of time, once the soldiers had retreated from Dunkirk, uh, Great Britain was looking at an impending invasion from the Germans on their own soil. And so that's why uh, Winston Churchill was the phrase, this is our darkest hour um, before the, the next Great Britain victory that would come ahead. And in many ways, this morning, while we've been working through the book of Amos, and we've been seeing God's judgment and the warnings from Amos coming throughout this entire book, this morning we are going to in many ways see Israel's darkest hour. It was the hour where they're waiting for the impending judgment from God, uh, something that is certain. We're going to deal with all that. But even in the midst of it, it's, uh, a month after Winston Churchill would coin the phrase, this is their darkest hour, he would go back and say, perhaps this would be remembered as our finest hour. That's when he would give his speech. Uh, you, I'm sure you've heard of it, even if it's just from school. But uh, um, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight on the landing grounds, we'll fight in the air. You know, the, his iconic speech from that time, that this finest hour. So there is, uh, in the midst of the heaviness of the message before us today, there is a glimmer of hope. And Phil is going to have the great privilege of speaking on the hope, but maybe the only hope that we find in the book of Amos, that's going to be next week. So uh, bear with me this morning as we work through some of the heavy-handed uh, message and come back next week and find out about that that shining hope that comes at the end uh, that Phil will, will be teaching on as well. So um, let's jump in. Amos, uh, in chapter 7, he starts off uh, talking about these visions that he's received. He moves away from the rest of the book. He's been sharing warnings and words that he's heard from the Lord. And now he's going to go in and say, listen, I've seen these visions uh, that God has put before me. And he's going to chronicle five different visions that he's seen. The first one, right at the beginning of chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he tells of the vision of God forming locusts when the later growth had uh, just was just beginning to sprout. And after the king's mowing, the locusts were to come in and destroy everything. If you jump to verse 4, you start to see a second vision, that the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it was devouring the great deep and eating up the land. And then in verse 7, the next vision. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said, What do you see? I said, A plumb line, is what Amos said. And then uh, if you were to jump all the way to chapter 8, 
at the start of chapter 8, this is what the Lord God showed me in the fourth vision. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. Seems pretty straightforward right there. And then moving on into the beginning of chapter 9, you see the, the fifth vision uh, that Amos is going to share with the people of Israel, that he saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And then uh, the Lord, we will, we'll talk about what the Lord said at that time. So these five visions that Amos is sharing with the nation of Israel are five visions that are depicting what is to be the day of the Lord. If you remember, perhaps from the last couple of weeks, if you go back to chapter 5 and verse 18, um, Amos says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or he went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and the serpent bit him. And so now we're getting into this, uh, these visions that are depicting what is this day of the Lord. And most people today, when we hear the, the term the day of the Lord, we immediately jump to the book of Revelation. We think of that final judgment day, that day of the Lord that is yet to come. And that is true of being the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord isn't just a singular event. If you look throughout Scripture, there are multiple days of the Lord, this being one of them that Amos is talking about. So let's look at a couple of them. If you were to stand in Amos's boat in his time frame, you could look to the past of what might be uh, most popularly known as the day of the Lord at Passover. Right, The people of Israel were... Uh, in captivity in Egypt at that time. and uh, This was the 10th plague, the angel of death that was going to come through and as God executes his judgment on the Egyptians and he says, hey, uh, take a, a lamb and spread his blood over his doorposts door and the angel of death will pass over your house. That was a day of the Lord where God came and executed his judgment against his enemies, against the ungodly. You could look at the uh, more present time of Amos, the period of time between Amos and Christ, and you can see in Lamentations, um, and it talks about the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. as a day of the Lord. You can talk about Isaiah. Isaiah speaks heavily about a day of the Lord, and the fall of Babylon, perhaps in chapter 13. And then you do, you could go to the future in the last days, in which we are living in now, the last days, where the day of the Lord is that final day of judgment that is to come. But the the day of the Lord that Amos is speaking of, is he's not talking about just the end of the world. He's talking about that day in which God is going to come and he's going to execute his judgment. And in all of these cases, in all of these days of the Lord, the day of the Lord meant a day of calamity and or a day of judgment. So Amos is going to be sharing with the people of Israel the impending destruction that is going to come. The impending destruction that's going to come. The prophets would uh, speak of the day of the Lord oftentimes using metaphors, and they would speak of the calamity. Joel would uh, depict it as a day of clouds and thick darkness. Obviously, we've talked about how Amos describes it, a day of darkness without light, as uh, fleeing from a lion and running into a bear. You know, it's like jumping from the frying pan into the fire. You know, that whole phrase. It's, just, it's a terrible, terrible day uh, before us. Zephaniah is quite... Uh, vivid in his description. He says that the day of the Lord will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, and a day of trumpet and battle cry. The day of the Lord was a day of great calamity. Isaiah describes a massive leveling on the day of the Lord uh, in chapter 2 where he says, whatever is lofty will be brought low. The, 
the lofty things of this world are to be brought low before the Lord. War is often spoken of as a, uh, in the day of the Lord. God even raising up His armies or the battles that come before and the, the fear and the pain and the anguish that come with war. Those are described as the, in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is said that before the earth shakes and the skies tremble, the Septuagint translates uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 19, that the day of the Lord is coming like a burning oven. The author of 2 Peter, Peter, he reiterates the theme of fire, and he says that it's by fire the earth and elements themselves to be destroyed. He obviously speaking of the, the day of the Lord in the last days, the final day of the Lord. But we see that when Amos is speaking of this day of the Lord, and Seemingly so that the Israelites long for, they long for this day of the Lord, probably assuming that it's going to come against their enemies, against the, the Gentiles, those who were not of the Jewish faith. And Amos is saying, listen, why would you want the day of the Lord? Don't you understand the day of the Lord is coming, but it's not coming for uh, who you think it is, it's coming for you. You are the subjects of the day of the Lord. You are going to be the victims on that day. Because uh, just as uh, those who do not follow God are ungodly and unjust, we have learned that the nation of Israel has become the unjust. They're the ones who oppress others. They're the ones who uh, take advantage of the poor. They're the ones who begin to mistreat and turn away from God. They've altered their worship to meet their own benefits, their own pleasures. They have become uh, so focused on themselves that they've left God out of it. And so Amos is saying, listen, the day of the Lord, it is in fact coming. But why do you don't want it to happen? It's going to happen to you. And here's what it is. The day of the Lord, it's going to be inevitable. It's inevitable, uh, Amos says. Why is the day of the Lord inevitable? Because God is just. God is a just God. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 7. This is the third vision. It says that he saw God standing with a plumb line. In his hand, next to a wall that he built with a plumb line. How many of you guys know what a plumb line is? Pretty commonly known, right? It's that string with a, a non-magnetic weight at the bottom of it that you hold up, and and that's where they would suspend it to see if they were building a wall straight or crooked. And so God is a, He's putting a plumb line into the nation of Israel. God is holding that plumb line. God is that plumb line. You see, that God is, is decreeing the true vertical, the true perfect. If you're building a wall with a plumb line and, the, and it, your wall is crooked, it doesn't make the plumb line crooked with it. The plumb line is going to reveal the crookedness of the wall. And so God's saying, listen, I'm going to put perfection, I'm going to put a standard in the midst of my people that I'm going to judge them by. It is going to reveal their own crookedness. It's inevitable because God is just. In the course of these couple chapters that we worked through in Amos, uh, God uses an I will statement more than ten times. I will do this. I will do that more than ten times. The God that we serve is not a lying God. If God says he's going to execute something, and God says he's going to do something, we better believe that God's going to do it. If you look in a, a chapter 9, uh, verse 10, it's the very last verse of the passage we're dealing with this morning. God is, uh, Amos is sharing God's words here, and he says that all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Denying the fact that God's judgment and his wrath and the destruction that comes, denying its existence and its inevitability doesn't change the fact that it's coming. 
It just means that those who will deny it are going to be sorely disappointed on that day that it shows up. But we've been given the warning. As the nation of Israel has been given the warning. That the day of the Lord is coming. So even for us today, when we're not looking ahead to the same day of the Lord as Amos was, we look ahead to the final day of judgment. When God is going to execute judgment on all people and all nations. And that day is coming, like it or not. And we have peace in that as believers, that on that day, we will claim Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. Eternity in heaven waits for us. But there are others who need to hear the warning. Just as the nation of Israel, Daisy's in on sharing this warning. This warning. So listen to the warning. Listen to the warning. People need to hear and know that this is coming. That day is coming. Secondly, Amos is going to tell us that the day of the Lord is absolutely insurmountable. It is insurmountable. I look at the, the first couple of visions that he shares at the beginning of chapter 7 there. The locusts that are coming and the fire that comes. And um, Amos' response, and we're going to talk a bit about this in a moment. But his response is, oh Lord, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. He's looking at this destruction that God is going to bring. And he's like, oh my goodness, it's so great. You're going to destroy everybody. God's judgment, the day of the Lord is insurmountable. You cannot build up a defense that's going to get you through. Chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, Amos had been sharing these visions, and then Amaziah, a uh, priest at Bethel, went to Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern uh, kingdom at the time, and said, listen, this, uh, this guy, Amos, he's sharing all these visions and prophesying stuff about all his destruction. You should, you should kick him out of here. And so Jeroboam goes up to Amos and says, listen, if you're going to prophesy, that's fine. Okay, I'm not going to tell you not to prophesy. I'm paraphrasing. This is, this is Jeremy's paraphrase. Right? You can look at it. It's right there between uh, chapter, or verse 10 all the way to 17. And he's saying, listen, if you're going to prophesy, that's fine. Go prophesy. But don't do it here. Go back to Judah. Go back to where you came from. Prophesy there. And Amos' response is, uh, so you say, don't prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of uh, Isaac. So therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. And your land shall be divided up with a measuring line and you yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Listen, you can kick me out the day the Lord's coming. Can't, you can't rise above it. Just because you're a king and you got all this power, even you are going to die in an unclean land. Even you, oh powerful Jeroboam, who is so prosperous and has so much. The nation of Israel is going to go into exile. Be ready. If you look over to chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad day. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. 
They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That day is going to be a dark day. It is going to be all encompassing. The youth are going to struggle, the old are going to struggle, and we're going to find that it is an inescapable day. You cannot hide from God. You go into chapter 9, Amos. In, in this vision, the Lord standing beside the altar says that he's there. And the Lord says, strike the capitals until the threshold shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and shall bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil, but not for good. The day of the Lord is coming. And it is inevitable. You cannot run. No person can run. No person can hide. We're told in Scripture that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we pray that we that we trust that we are going to be on the side, that we are, we are bowing the knee now and saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we want to gather as many people from the harvest field that they too on that day wouldn't be admitting that Jesus Christ is Lord too late. Because the judgment is going to come. So let us be part of reaching out and sharing this morning. I told you guys, this is the destruction and judgment of the Lord is a heavy-handed statement. God doesn't mess around. Oftentimes we like to, we'll talk so much about the grace of God and the love of God, which are all so true. We don't put a lot of emphasis sometimes on the justice of God and the wrath of God, which are just as true as His love and His mercy and His grace. And it's healthy for us to at times be reminded of these things. Because as a believer... As a believer, it gives us an opportunity to praise the Lord because we can look and say, Oh God, how great you are that you have spared me from this. That you have saved me from this kind of destruction. You've saved me from your wrath. Thank you for pouring your wrath upon your son. Oh, I don't deserve this. But it reminds us too of the reality that awaits the people we work with, the people we live by, the people we call family or friends who don't know the Lord. So while we can rejoice that as believers we have been saved from this very destruction, others are awaited. So it should spur us on. Spur us on. Okay, we're going to get a little lighter from here. Alright, that was the heavier part. But understanding the weight of the judgment of God should spur us on to intercede on behalf of others. We see in this passage uh, Interceding prayers from Amos. You can go back to those first couple visions. He sees them and he says, Oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. We read that and the Lord relent concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. And then the fire, Oh Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. Amos interceded on behalf of the people of Israel, seeing the destruction that was to come. Please, God, don't let it relent. Be patient. And the Lord relented. As you look throughout Scripture, when we see 
the judgment and the destruction of the Lord that comes, there's always somebody to intercede. There's always somebody to intercede. Right now, it's Amos. If you were to look back, you see it in the patriarchs, the patriarchs of, of the Jewish faith. You have Abraham. I think of Abraham in the time where he interceded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to destroy those cities. And Abraham says, what did he say? Oh, but if you could find 50 righteous people, would you destroy the whole city? Yeah, if you could find 50. Okay, well, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Abraham interceded on behalf of those very unrighteous cities. And we know the fate that came for them. They were destroyed even though they had something to intercede. I think of the priests who would intercede on behalf of the people of Israel daily, offering prayers and sacrifices for them, interceding to the Lord on their behalf. I think of the prophets, Amos himself being one of them. I think of the time when Moses, remember when he was coming down from the mountain and seeing that the nation of Israel had formed this golden calf and began worshiping it. God was going to smite them down and destroy them. And, and Moses says, be patient, relent in your anger. What would people think that you would deliver your people from Egypt and bring them out here just to kill them in the wilderness? And the Lord relented and spared his people. I think of that Passover we talked about, where the, the blood of the lambs who was slain and was spread on the doorposts it stood as an intercessor between the angel of death and the firstborn of the families. That the, that the destruction and judgment of God would pass over that house. And ultimately, we think of Jesus today, right? Who himself, just as the patriarchs were the founding fathers, per se, of the Jewish faith, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the fulfillment of the patriarchs. We think of Jesus, who is... The great high priest of the book of Hebrews speaks. The book of Hebrews is a beautiful book, isn't it? The great high priest who, he is now making intercession. He is, he gave the perfect sacrifice. And now he stands at the uh, right hand of the throne of God, interceding on our behalf every day, every hour. I think of Jesus as the greatest prophet who is, uh, as the prophets who speak the words of God and share on, on his behalf to his people. Jesus came, and the scriptures tell us he was the exact imprint of the nature of God. He himself most perfectly depicted in, uh, on behalf of God because he himself was God. He could speak with an authority, not as thus says the Lord God, but so I say unto you. I think of Jesus as our intercessor in that way. That Jesus is the true Passover lamb, right? That his perfect blood was shed on the cross. He died and sacrificed his perfect, unblemished self. That our sins might be forgiven. He rose on the third day to conquer death, to conquer sin, so that you and I might not just have our sins forgiven, but we might receive the righteousness of Christ. That God doesn't just overlook sin and say, oh, I'll just ignore it. Payment was made. His justice, His wrath was fulfilled in the person of Christ. And now we have life because of Christ. So we stand in this position now where we look back in the Old Testament and see all these things that the nation of Israel would look at and we see their fulfillment most perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. And now we have that opportunity to take that message and to intercede on behalf of other people. First, pray for those who don't know Christ. 
Pray for those who might be wandering in their faith. But share that message of the true intercessor, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross on their behalf to pay the penalty for their sins. This should get us fired up as Christians. This, this is what has changed our lives. It's not a matter of just looking, hey, I, I've been better than so-and-so. I, I live differently. You know, it's like, hey, Christ has changed me. So we should look at the lost, not with a spirit of judgment, but a spirit of compassion of saying, please, I have found life in Christ. He's changed my life. I want you to experience the same thing. And we take that message and go to the Lord and pray for their souls. Pray that God might be doing a mighty work. We have no idea. We have no idea how God is working in people's hearts. We have no idea how He's using the relationships that we have with people to change their hearts and to draw them closer to Him. And to be honest, we may never know. We may never know. But God works in some mysterious and, and awesome ways that should bring us an encouragement and a fire to go and to share this message because there is, in fact, a, a day of judgment coming. I think of a guy named uh, Pat. I can't remember his first name. He's, a, he's an atheist kind of vlogger. He makes video vlogs and whatever. And he kind of said, he said to the gist of this, um, if Christians, if what you say is true, that there's a, that hell is going to be real, heaven's real, Jesus, God himself came as a man and died on the cross Give your sins so you wouldn't have to go to hell if you can go to heaven. If that's true, how much do you have to hate the people around you to not tell them? Talk about conviction coming from an atheist. And those people might be running through your head right now that you know aren't walking with the Lord. That neighbor. Maybe they drive you nuts. I don't know. You're like, man. That person you you work with. Man, they need Jesus. Those other kids at school. Man, they need Jesus. That family member that when family reunion time comes around, you're like, man, they need Jesus. And take the message of hope to them. Lastly, we've kind of started jumping into this. We see an inviting response. Despite the fact that the heavy judgment of the Lord is coming, despite the fact that um, Amos has interceded, God relented in those, but the judgment is certainly still going to come. And, and we know from history that it would. But there is a response that is invited here. And that response is for us today. Is God your plumb line? Is He your plumb line? Listen. It's so easy for us to set other plumb lines in our life. But the reality is, is none of them are true plumb lines. They're just not. They're probably like the, the party banner thing. They're twisted and you can't tell what's true. And we do that and we do it with other people. We'll set other people as the standard by which we're going to compare ourselves and say, in a sense, oh, you know, I, I aspire to be this person. I look at their faith and their relationship with God, and I would love so much to be like them. And so we set them kind of as our standard, our ideal, and we work towards that. But all the while, yet they are a sinful and fallen and crooked person themselves. 
And it's so easy to compare. Sometimes we'll look at a plumb line of somebody perhaps who's on the other side. They're, they're maybe uh, struggling in their faith a little bit. They're limping along and they need someone to come and support them. And we might look at them and say, oh, you know what? Look, I, I'm doing better than so-and-so, so I must be doing fine. And it gives us an excuse to not deal with our own crookedness in our own lives because maybe we're just a little, a little smoother than the other person. But God must be our plumb line. Because a true plumb line is perfectly straight. It reveals the crookedness. So when we look upon it, we wouldn't say, oh, look how great I am. We would see the crookedness in our ways. And we would seek the Lord to help us. To strengthen us. You need to have a, a serious moment with yourself and the Lord and say, no, are you really my plumb line? Are you the standard that I have set for my life? That I will follow this standard and this standard alone. And my desire is to encourage and to build up other Christians around me. Not to compare myself with them, but to spur each other on to good works. To encourage each other in the faith. As we all pursue holiness and righteousness that is decreed by God. That's our first uh, invitation. And that's an invitation to share with other people too, isn't it? As you go to others, what, what's the ideal standard? What's the ideal standard for you? Well, what about God? He's my father. And share why. Share why. Secondly, to pray for mercy. Just as Amos prayed for mercy on behalf of the people of Israel, we have the opportunity to pray for mercy as well. And not just for ourselves. Not just for ourselves. We've talked about this a little bit of something I can spend a lot of time on. But praying for, interceding and asking for God's mercy for your brothers and sisters in Christ who you know are, are struggling and wandering in their faith. Just as the nation of Israel would wander from God and come back, we intercede on their behalf. Intercede on behalf of your brother and sister that God would be patient with them and draw them back to Himself. Don't be so heavy-handed and judgmental, but to be patient and gracious and understanding and, say, and, and win people over Christ. Not hammer them to the ground. Let God do the hammering. He's the one who executes judgment. We're the ones who get to bring and intercede on their behalf. And lastly, proclaim the gospel for all people. Proclaim the gospel for all people. There are lost people in this town, in your town, that need to know they're going about their days aimlessly wandering for nothing. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what? They might reject you. It's not your fault. God is the one who's in the business of changing people's hearts. He's called us to be in the business of being the hands and the feet and the mouth that share. Speak the good news. Proclaim it is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest, this is one of the things that Bree and I are very excited about about coming out here, is to jump into this community. To be part of it. To get to know people. To understand the politics of the small town. I lived in Newark for years uh, through high school and college. And I lived in a small town. I, know, I understand how things work. And I know there's, there's toes that can be stepped on. We look forward to getting to know all these things. 
Because we look at this place out here, as you guys do, as a place where there are lost souls who need to know Christ. There are people who need to know the truth. And we look so forward to partnering with each of you to be God's workmen in His harvest fields, to go and reap a harvest for the kingdom of God. That we would serve well and faithfully together and take the gospel message outside of these four walls to a watching and needing world who need Christ so desperately. We look forward to this mission. And this is a mission that God has put all of us on as his believers to go and to make disciples of all the nations. And that starts right here in Shabbat. We call it in Bleed. Call it Water. Call it Malta. Call it Paul. Call it Cal. Whatever it is, wherever God has put you, is your mission for you. Go and take the message of hope. Take the gospel. Because we are reminded of the judgment that's coming. And just like that atheist says, how much do we have to hate the people around us to not share that good news with them? Love your neighbor. 